You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. About 15 years ago, uh, Mike and Linda Stallings, if you know Mike and Linda, they're an amazing couple. Mike is the chairman of our elder board, and Mike was sharing me with me this story. About 15 years ago, it was actually on their 25th wedding anniversary, a day that's supposed to have been full of celebration and excitement. They got a phone call that the business that they co-owned was going under and that uh, everything in the world was about to collapse. They, he shares a story about that the, the, over the next couple of days and, and weeks and months, as you've, if you've been in this situation where you lost your job, lost the source of income, perhaps lost your business, everything comes crashing down around you. There were still debts that they owed from the business, and they had to pay that out, and but there's no income coming in. Mortgages still due, food still needs to be purchased, heat still needs to be brought in, and they have no money. And so they're seeing their savings account slowly dwindling, and he tells a story that they were in desperate, desperate situation, that he had applied for many different jobs, and, and jobs that seemed like they were going to work out. Job, even job offers were rescinded for no explanation. And so it seemed like just when he thought, here's some hope, it was taken away. And so they see this week after week, month after month, the savings account slowly dwindling, and they are wondering, how are we going to make it? They have three girls, and, and they're in school, and, and a mortgage to pay, and nothing happening. And it's at one of these moments, as you can imagine, maybe you've been in this yourself, that you're wondering, what's going on? Where is God in all this? Why is this happening to us? And so Mike and Linda, faithful followers of God, were turning to him, and, and Linda was working through the book of Joshua at the time. And so and she said, I, we have something to share with the kids. And so they brought the, the girls down from their rooms, and they all met in the living room with a big stone. And, they, and Linda began to tell the story from Joshua chapter 4. In Joshua 4, Joshua is leading the Israelites to the promised land, and they cross the river. They cross the Jordan River, and once they get all the way across, Joshua says, hold on, wait a second. Every tribe, send one man to go grab a stone from the middle of the river where the priest was standing. From a spot in the river that no one could ever get, it had the water not been separated, grab one person and go get a stone. And so 12 men from the 12 tribes go and they grab a stone and they bring it to the side uh, of the promised land. And there Joshua erects an altar and says, let us build this today, that we will remember this day that God was here. And he says that, remember this and be sure to tell this to your children and your children's children and for the generations to come that when they ask, why do we follow Yahweh? Why are we following God? That we can bring them to this altar and say, this is where God brought us through. And so it was this moment that they would be able to say, this is where God delivered us. And so Linda is sharing this story with the girls in the living room and, and Mike has the stone and they tell the girls that we don't have any answers. We'll be honest with you. We don't know how we're going to pay the next bill. We don't know how we're going to make it through this, but we know that God will deliver us. I don't know how. We might end up having to sell the house. We might have to sell all we have, but we know God will deliver us. And so on that day, on that stone, they wrote the date because they wanted to remember this date that we stood ground and we said God would deliver us somehow. So they went and put it out in their yard, and, and I'd love to tell you the next day Mike got a job offer, and wouldn't that be an awesome story, but it doesn't always work like that. Several months and this span of even two years went 
where they were just, Mike was trying to do different consulting jobs and, and still trying to find a, a job. There was times that they couldn't understand, but mysteriously, through God, people provided for them. One of their girls' semester was paid for, unbeknownst to them, by a complete stranger. There was all these things that they saw God interweaving, and they were able to point back to that stone and say, we've been trusting him. He will deliver us. And as Mike got his new job, and as they were able to have a steady income again, and as the savings account that dwindled down to nothing began to grow again, they were always able to go back to that stone. Just as the people of Israel were able to go back and know that God delivered them, they, as a family, can go back to that moment in the living room, to that stone that sits in their garden. Since then, Mike Mike and Linda have had many stones. That when there's a special moment in their family's life, I, I was at the wedding of one of their daughters, that Mike presented his daughter with the strangest of wedding gifts, a stone with that date written on it. And in their yard, they have a little rock bed of stones with all these dates, all these moments, all these words written on them, pointing to where God intervened, where their story and God's story crossed paths, and they knew that this was a place that we stood strong and God delivered. And as Mike said, there's many stones in there. There's some that they look back and see how God delivered them, and there's stones that they are still praying over, looking for God's path, God's guidance and deliverance. But these stones are reminders For Joshua, it was a reminder of a time when God was there, when God met them. I hope you have a story like that. I know I do. I have stories where where I've seen God, and I hope you have stories, stories that maybe you were struggling through a hard time and God was there, maybe stories where God provided in immense ways, maybe stories where how God saved a broken marriage, maybe stories about when you were distraught and broken in your bathroom, on your bathroom floor, just crying out to God, and he met you that night. We have all these stories of where we've met God, and and I hope that you have those stories. I hope that you have many, that we'd be able to say, this is where God has been. We've been going through the book of Acts, and and we got to Acts 21, and we encountered Paul, and he's about about to recite his God moment story. We've seen this story multiple times throughout the book of Acts, and he's about to share this with the people. If you remember from last week, Paul, Paul is helping a couple guys, four guys, to, to follow through with a Nazarite vow. This is as Jewish as it can get. He is being fully Jewish. He is trying to help them. He's even paying for the ritual ceremony, and he's gone to the temple with these four guys. The seven days have passed, and he's now going to this temple. And it's crazy because we are about to see the Jews, there are some Jews from, from Asia that see him and are upset. They're upset and they're the ones from Asia because they know the work he's been doing in Asia. And that's been to reach out to the Gentiles, to spread the good news of God to Jews and Gentiles. And so they're upset at him and they're angry. We're about to see they're about to cause him problems. And so, if you have your Bibles, open it to Acts 21. We'll also have it up on the screen as we dive in, starting at verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the providence of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. 
They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul, and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The temple is broken into various courts, right? And so you have the first court that you walk into, and, the, and that's where the Gentiles and the Jews could be. And then after that, you would proceed into the, the, temp, the court of the Israelites. And so the Gentiles could not make it into the Jewish court. There's a, a, a doors and a wall, and you, wouldn't, you were not allowed to go through. And so they're making an accusation that he's brought one of these Gentiles into the Israelite court. Now, if you notice... They're just saying that they saw him with Trophimus earlier in the day, right, in the city. They haven't even seen Trophimus in the temple at all. They're just making this blanket accusation, just trying to find something to rile people up and accuse Paul of what he's been doing. The whole city was aroused, so obviously it worked. And the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. So they dragged him from the court of the Israelites into the court of the Gentiles, and the gates are shut. And they shut that so in the midst of this commotion, no one could go defile the Israelite court. And so there they are, and they have Paul seized and still part of the temple, and they're beating him, and they're bringing, trying to bring about his death. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops, and the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. It, it, the word that we have here is officers, but another translation for that word would have been a centurion. And a centurion was oversaw a hundred Roman soldiers. So when it says the officers and soldiers, the centurion and soldiers, they're saying about 200 soldiers with weapons, weapons drawn flood into the temple court. And so the, the beating of Paul immediately stops. You can imagine if this giant crowd of soldiers come in, everyone stops. Even though they've been trying to kill him, they're throwing stones at him, they're hitting him, they're kicking him, he's on the ground. This crowd, this mob has surrounded him. They stop because the soldiers are there. The, the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. So he's now tied to two of the soldiers. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken to the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd followed, kept shouting, get rid of him. Other translations say kill him. That the crowd realizes that once he's in the custody of the, the soldiers, they're never going to get him again. And they're worried that he's going to be set free. So they're, even though in the midst of 200 soldiers with weapons, they're still trying to kill Paul. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Now, that is a big mistake, right? Like, how would you like to be mistaken for a terrorist? Uh, I, I often think, and I've told Sarah and anyone that'll listen, that I look like Matt Damon, right? And so if you guys look, squint a little, and if we brought down the lights a lot, you would see it, all right? And so I, I think, I, for some reason, I feel like I look like Matt Damon. So anytime there's a Matt Damon movie out, we rent it and we watch it. And just so I can know what it would be like if I was on Mars. Or what it would be like if I was a CIA agent. Or that, what it would be like if I owned a zoo. Or uh, if I, that downsizing movie that hit a little too close to home. But um, so to see uh, what it would be like, to, you know, that's how I watch. And so it's like, oh, that's me. And so Matt Damon was named Sexiest Man of the Year 
by People Magazine in 2016. So I informed Sarah that as we look alike, we co-won that year. And so, uh, and that's right. So she did not agree. But, um, and so I, I often am mistaken for Matt Damon, or at least that's what I think. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be mistaken for the Egyptian terrorist that leads 4,000 other terrorists into the desert, right? This is a big mistake. But this mistake makes a lot more sense. Now we understand why the commander comes with 200 soldiers. Because you got this mighty uh, terrorist that's leading a whole revolt, and he, they need to squelch it. Now you can understand why they, the commander couldn't understand the truth. It says that some shouted one thing, some shouted the other. Well, they're just shouting, he brought a Gentile into the temple, well, imagine if you think this is a terrorist that leads 4,000 other terrorists. You're like, all right, that's not the, what the real problem here is, right? And so this confusion makes sense now. But Paul answers, I am a Jew, a Tarsus from Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, Listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. And now we're about to see he gets into his story. That if Paul was to have a stone in the middle of his living room and he wrote a date, it would be this day. And so he begins to tell this story, a story that we first encountered on Easter Sunday several months ago from Acts chapter 9. A story that Paul has recited multiple times as he encounters different opportunities. It's a story of where he met Jesus. It says, Then Paul said, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus, of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamil and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priests and all the council can tes- themselves testify, I even obtained letters from, from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem and to be punished. So he's telling his background. He's telling his story of what he, who he was before Jesus. I killed these Christians. We saw that he would break down the doors and he would go into people's homes and he would drag them out, throw them in prison, kill them. This was his story before the encounter. But it continues, verse 6. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are, whom you are persecuting. He replied, My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up. The Lord said, go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. I love this that as Paul's telling the story, his focus wasn't on how bad he used to be. He shares that so they understand the the change. But his biggest focus is on meeting Jesus. The biggest part of his story isn't about Paul. It's about Jesus. He continues, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. 
Then he said, God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words of his mouth. You will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash, wash your sins away, calling on his name. What a story, right? What an awesome story. He'd gone from killing and persecuting Christians to meeting Jesus. And not just meeting Jesus, but being blinded and spending three days in Damascus blind and confused and wrestling with this and talking to God and trying to figure this out. And then he, he, the, his, Ananias comes and makes his sight come. And he can see and his, his eyes are open and not just physically, but figuratively. His eyes are open to everything of who Jesus was, about the death on the cross and about the resurrection about the washing away of his sins, and he goes and he's baptized, washed clean. What a great story. When I hear that story, I often wish, man, I wish I had a great story like that. I don't know about you, uh, some of you probably have an amazing story. Some of you probably grew up in the church just like I did. And if you did that, maybe you've sometimes wondered, man, I wish I had a good story. Because for me, there are only two times that we didn't go to church. There once was a soccer tournament, once was a funeral. Otherwise, we were there every Sunday morning. I grew up in church. It was just what was expected. My sister was baptized, and when I was nine, I was baptized as well. I don't have a great story. Just accepting Jesus at a dinner table when our pastor came over. And I sit there and think, man, I wish I had a good story. I wish I had a time where, like, I was part of a biker gang and Jesus met me when I was on the open road. Or, or a time, like, I was, uh, I was just a horrible drunk and, and Jesus saved me. Or maybe I was a pirate and, and Jesus stepped in. I don't know. Some cool story like that. But all I have is I grew up in church. Except Jesus at nine at the dinner table. But the neat part is, it's not about Paul. It's not about me. There's something amazing in both our stories, and that is Jesus. That it doesn't matter what my background was, what Paul's background was. What matters is what Jesus does, and that Jesus came and died on the cross and rose again. That's the part of the story that's amazing. It doesn't matter about the previous part. It matters about the Jesus part. And so we see that in this story. And so Paul is before all the people, and he shares his story. Do you have a story? Do you have a story about when you first encountered Jesus? But I hope also you have many stories after that where you've seen Jesus encountered in your life. There's a, uh, another character in the Old Testament. We looked at Joshua, and there's one named Samuel. Samuel grew up in the temple. And when he was just a young boy, he was serving in the temple, and he heard God's voice. He heard a voice say, Samuel. He thought it was Eli, his mentor, and so he went to Eli and he said, yes, I'm here. And Eli's like, no, go back to bed. I didn't call you. And, and this happens three times, and they finally realize that this is God calling. And so the, the next time Samuel goes back and God calls him, and he says, here I am. Your servant's listening. And, and God goes and tells him what his life goal is going to be. Samuel there encounters God, and if, if Samuel had a stone in the middle of that room, he would write that date. He would write, God called out Samuel. He would write something on the stone, and, and the, the stone would carry on with him throughout his life. But it's not just that one stone. Samuel saw God all throughout his life, as I hope you have as well. 
That Samuel would have a stone that he would write when the time that God had me become a priest. He would have a, a stone that said simply the word prophet because he served as God's prophet. He would have a stone marking the day when he anointed Saul as the king. He would have a stone with David's name as he anointed David. He would have a stone of the time that he led the, Philistine, led the Israelites to beat the Philistines. That stone is actually mentioned in chapter 7 of the book of 1 Samuel. Samuel, is, there's a new revival among the Israelites, and, and they're passionate for God, and they've been fighting their archenemy, the Philistines, and the Philistines have been winning some of these battles. And so they come before God, and they give this over to him, and they're sacrificing to God, and they're giving the battle over to him, and they're sacrificing to him. And in verse 10, chapter 7, it says, While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they, that, they were, that they were routed before the Israelites. The Philistines lost before Israel ever stepped foot on the battlefield. It continues on in verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer means a stone of help. So he had this stone where God came and helped. So we talk about these stories. Paul had a story. If Paul was carrying a stone, there would be one that he would have written, Road to Damascus. Mike and Linda have stones on their property. There's stones all over that are marked these days where God intervened. Joshua had the people collect 12 stones that they would not forget this and they'd be able to tell the generations after. Samuel raises the Ebenezer, the stone of help. God, God came here and helped us. It's these moments that we can remember. And I want to ask you, are there a moment like that that you have that you could pass on? That if I was to go to lunch with you today and we're sitting at Cracker Barrel and I'm like, hey, tell me a story where God intervened. Tell me a story about where you met God. And you would ask me, and, and I could tell you multiple stories. I, I'd tell you about the time I was at church camp and I met God. I'd tell you about the time I was at a hospital bed with my wife struggling and holding on for dear life. I'd tell you a story about the time we got a phone call that said we have a baby that needs a home. I'd tell you a story about a time I was outside a Taiwanese funeral and I just broke down in tears because I heard God speaking to me. A time after time after time I could tell, and I hope that you would be able to tell those too. That we'd be there so long that we'd just wait and order a Coca-Cola cake afterwards because we just want to tell more stories. And the reason we bring this up is the Stallings, Joshua, Samuel, they were onto something. To have these moments written down that we'd be able to go back and say, this is where God was. That it serves as a reminder to us that God was there. And so then in the midst of the hard times, the times that we feel alone, we can look back and say, God had me. And God still has me. And so this morning, we're going to do something as a church body, and, and I hope you'll, you'll be willing to participate in this with me. We have stones around this room. We have six different stations. And, and I want to ask you to come up and write on that stone. 
to come up and write uh, maybe a date or a word, maybe a time that God came and intervened in your life. Maybe it was a time that you accepted Christ for the first time. Maybe it was a time that he saved your marriage. Maybe, it, maybe that time is today. Maybe you want to draw a picture or write out the whole story. But come and fill these stones with moments that God has intervened in the life of this body of believers. I had an opportunity to, to look at some of these stories from first hour. It was beautiful to see all the different ways God has been in our life. And that we would be able to pass these on for generation after generation after generation. So if you will, I'm going to pray and then please disperse and, and spend a moment to write about that story. As I say, what is that that you would share with me at lunch where God was? Maybe what is that where you are now that you're looking for God? And write this on the stones. God, we just pray that this morning, that this will serve as a reminder of who you are. God, that as we would write on these stones, as Samuel erected this stone of his Ebenezer to remember the moment when God helped. And as Joshua said, let's not forget God's providence and protection over us. God, this morning, let us not forget that if there are multiple moments, God, put on our hearts and let us write them all down. If it's a date, let us remember that, recall that date. God, whatever that is, let this morning serve as a reminder of who you are in your presence. God, we lift this up in your name.